Hi, I'm Shelly. And I'm Nicole. And you're listening to the Baby Pro Podcast, where we talk about everything and anything related to pregnancy through the first year of your child's life. Every episode, we will discuss and interview experts on all the questions expectant and new parents want to know, such as creating the perfect birth plan, infant sleep, and tips and tricks for parenting a newborn. Welcome to the show. Hi, Nicole. Hey there. How are you, Shelly? Good. How are you? Good. How's your week? Oh, it's been good. Kind of slow. Yeah, my kids are preparing so that we're recording this in January. So my kids are preparing to, some of them are going back to hybrid. Ah. So, and that makes me really nervous. Secretly, I'm kind of hoping they push it off, but I don't think that they will. Right. But Sasha came to me and she was like, because she had opted for hybrid and she came to me the other day and she's like, is it okay if I switch to fully remote? And I was like, of course. She's like, okay, because... I really feel it. She's like, this is the first time ever that I'm getting straight A's. It's so much easier to focus. It's so much easier to concentrate and get my work done. Gracie feels like, the same way. Good for you, Sasha, for yep. recognizing that and yep. you know, wanting to work towards that progression. So, And in other ways, it's going to reduce a lot of stress for you. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then I kept asking Brooke, are you sure you don't want to stay remote? Are you sure? And she's like, stop bugging me about it. Right. Like, oh. Right. <laughs> Loves it too. Mm-hmm. This week we are speaking with Alyssa Schnell about induced lactation. Hey, have you ever was... met anyone who induced lactation? I'm sure I have. I'm just trying to think of anyone that I know like more personally. Mm-hmm. No, I guess I have to think about it. Yeah. I did knew somebody who adopted children. Yeah, after, years after she had two children, and she did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I've worked with a couple of families. With inducing lactation, both of them were same-sex couples. Yeah, where one was birthing and the other wanted to either be the sole breastfeeder or they wanted to both breastfeed. So, yep. should be interesting. But let's talk about our favorite of the week. Sounds good. You want to go first? Sure. My favorite of the week is my partner and boyfriend Frank who has done a ton for me through this surgery recovery that I've had last week. He has been holding down the fort, making Mm -hmm. supper, making my coffee, taking the dog out while working full time and not complaining about a thing. Oh, give a little shout out to Frank right now. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Did you like chain him to your ankle so he could never get away? (laughs) Oh no. I know. And it's been a little bit humbling because I'm not a great patient. So no, you're not. Sorry, Nicole. I love you, but you're not. You're not. Because because you are so used to being the one that takes care of everybody. You are right. so used to just taking care of everybody. That's with my terrible arm. But yeah, I can see that you're a terrible patient. I'm terrible. Mm-hmm. I'm frustrated, which makes me like I feel whoops. I don't know what I just where'd you go? There you are. I get very anxious feeling like I'm, you know, making everybody's life hard and I feel useless and like I'm not earning my keep and it sets some triggers for me. Well, and the thing is, is like, if you had a penis, do you think you'd feel that way? Fuck no. No. (laughs) It's not there. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, my favorite of the week is not as nice as yours. It's a show on Netflix that I totally binge watch. Cobra Kai. 
Oh, I heard that's great. (laughs) It's so corny. And the acting is so bad, but I love it. And I just love that it's like the same actors from the original movies. Yeah. Um, So it's fun to like see what happened when they got older. And like I said, the acting is pretty bad, but it's kind of like watching. I don't know if you've ever watched Fuller House. No, I have not. Just but, you know, it's that cheesy acting, but it's just fun to see the characters yeah. again. It brings you back to your childhood. So I liked it. I watched all three oh. seasons. I thought it was really I've, good. Yeah, that's probably next on my list. I've been mm-hmm. watching like crazy and I'm actually loving it because I'm not a big TV watcher, but exhausted. So even reading is a lot for me right now, which seems mm-hmm. so, but I'm having a hard time with it. Yeah. So. I think if there's ever a time that you'd have an excuse where you can just sit on your butt and watch TV, it's now, Nicole. Right, right, exactly. <laughs> that is me passively aggressively like lecture on you to sit still and like not do anything and just recover. Hard time. It's just my energy is so low. It's forcing me down, but it's like, it's not good for me mentally. So I'm struggling with that, mm-hmm. yeah. you know, a little bit anxious on the verge of crying a lot. <laughs> just want to get out of my nose. I am. So this is like a big trigger for me for being in need and feeling unworthy and mm-hmm. of abandonment, the whole going bitch childhood. <laughs> well, now I'm gonna I'm now I'm gonna harass you through text with like okay little <laughs> saying it's about how worthy you are and how great you are. <laughs> Be prepared. <laughs> I'll take it. I need it. Thank you. Let's move on to our question of the week. Yeah. This person wrote, I'm 33 weeks pregnant and because of complications during the pregnancy, I'm going to be induced at 34 weeks. We expect the baby to have to stay in the NICU. What should I expect in terms of getting breastfeeding established? Ah, that's a great question. It is a good question. A lot of people face this and they're having no idea what they're in for. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Well, mm-hmm. the number one thing I would recommend is pumping, 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 pumping. Yeah. And depending on which facility you're giving birth at, some hospitals are better at getting that started than others. Right. So ideally within one hour, you would be hand expressing or pumping ideally after the birth, but at least at a minimum within six hours after birth, you should be mm-hmm. set up with a pump and pumping. Yes. And for you, sure. yeah. One babies, what would be typical pattern if you as close to it as, as actually possible, which isn't always ideal, but good enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So like every two to three hours, you would double pump for two for 15 minutes. And studies have shown that if you hand express after pumping, parents who do that in the first three days make 20 to 80% more milk than parents who don't. So which is key because if you're separated from your baby, you already have a slightly higher risk of low milk supply. So pump hand express every two to three hours. If you don't know how to hand express, have the nurse or lactation consultant show you. Um, You'll probably get more colostrum with the hand expression than with the pumping and they can give that colostrum to your baby. Right. Yeah. Very good. And we wish you the best of luck. Yes, absolutely. Good luck. (laughs) Okay. And, um, Next up, we'll be talking to Alyssa. Sounds good. Hey, everyone. I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about one of the biggest obstacles that I see expecting and new families facing when they're having a baby, and that's lack of support and community. 
I know that having a baby can be overwhelming. There's so many resources out there. Some of them are better than others. You never quite know if you're getting the most updated evidence-based information. And also there's the lack of support. So that's why I created the Baby Pro Bistro. You can join the Baby Pro Bistro and get monthly support before and after your baby arrives. The Baby Pro Bistro provides you with all your prenatal and new parenting needs. So when you join, you get the prenatal childbirth education class, the prenatal breastfeeding class, the prenatal newborn care class, and the prenatal infant sleep education. You also get postpartum information like a starting solace webinar, community support, and expert speakers who talk on various subjects such as infant massage and pelvic floor health. So I'm really excited to announce this week's guest, Alyssa Schnell, IBCLC, and she is the author of Breastfeeding Without Birthing. Welcome, Alyssa. Hi, Shelly. Thanks for having me. Sure. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm an international board certified lactation consultant. I live in St. Louis, Missouri, and been in IBCLC for 10 years. Before that, I was a Lalecha League leader. That's sort of how I entered this field. Had a little difficulty nursing my first child and got so much help and support through the La Leche League that I wanted to give back. And then when we were expecting our third child by adoption, really taking things to the next level and understanding lactation. It was a wonderful, amazing experience. And I continued to help other parents with being able to do what I did, which was induce lactation for my daughter by adoption. But I felt like I needed more, like I needed to have more qualifications to really help people because it's a complicated breastfeeding situation. Mm -hmm. So that's why I became an IBCLC. I also felt when I was going through it that there weren't really good resources. There were a few books on breastfeeding an adopted baby, but they tended to be really outdated or vague, you know, didn't give me the specifics I needed. So I wrote the book that I wish I had. Mm -hmm. And and then... (laughs) So hopefully things will be better. Things are better today, much better today Mm -hmm. than they were 15 years ago when I was Mm -hmm. going through this. And I own your book. I love it. (laughs) I reference it all the time. I recommend it all the time. It's such a great book. Can you tell us a little bit about what exactly induced lactation is? Sure. So induced lactation is bringing in milk without a recent pregnancy. There's many reasons why somebody might do it, but the most common reasons are your family by adoption, growing your family by surrogacy, or the partner is the birthing parent, usually a same-sex female couple, and the non-birthing parent wishes to also breast. Well, she may want to breastfeed together, so co-nursing together with both parents, or it could be just the non-birthing parent is the one breastfeeding. Both the case, All these cases are induced lactation. So the idea is that when there's been a, a pregnancy, The hormones of the pregnancy cause the body to start making milk while inducing lactation is trying to make milk without that. Mm -hmm. So I bet a lot of people didn't even know that this could happen, that you could create milk, a milk supply in your body without actually being pregnant. Do you find that parents aren't aware that this is an option until you kind of bring it up with them and talk to them about it? Well, usually they're not going to see, you know, be in contact with me unless they know it's an option. Mm -hmm. So that's part of what I feel like my job is, is to get the word out there. And this is one of the reasons why I wanted to be here and talk with you is Mm -hmm. the more we talk about it, the more people are aware. And even if your listener is not interested or having occasion to induce lactation, 
it may come up with a friend or relative. And so we just need to get the word out that it's possible. Just to kind of give you an example of, of how unknown this is, not only is it the parents, but the doctors don't know. We were in a couple years ago in a carpool and the other person in the carpool was a local OBGYN. And so when we met each other, kind of get to know each other. And I told her what I did. She just stopped and she leaned forward and she said, I just want you to know, I have never heard of this. Oh, wow. OBGYN. Like she wow. did not even know it was possible. So doctors usually don't know. Mm-hmm. So that's why it's our job as like patient professionals to educate both the medical people as well as parents and as well as the professionals who support these parents like adoption agencies, surrogacy organizations, that kind of thing. Okay. And how does one go about doing inducing lactation? Or is, is there like a specific way that you have to do it? Or can you tell us a little more about it? Sure. The way I think about inducing lactation is in three steps. So the first step is preparing the body and breast for lactation. This is what happens in a pregnancy, the hormone shift, the breasts get fuller and heavier. They start to make some small amount of initial milk. That's step one. Step two is starting to bring in milk before the baby arrives. There's no analogy with pregnancy. The reason we have a step two is that right after giving birth, as you know, the milk comes in very quickly mm-hmm. over that first week and continues to grow quickly in that first month. When you induce lactation, that's not the case. It's very, very slow. And so if we can take a lead time before baby arrives in step two to bring in the milk, then there's some milk there by the time baby gets there. Mm-hmm. And then step three is babies arrive, we're feeding baby, growing milk production even more. It's a very flexible framework because, first of all, we can skip steps if necessary, particularly step two. If there isn't a lot of time, we skip it or we can combine steps one and two or even combine steps one and three if needed. But also what we do in each step is very flexible. So it can often involve pharmaceuticals, but it doesn't have to. It can involve Mm -hmm. herbs. The only thing that really is necessary to induce lactation is that physical stimulation of the breast, some combination of breastfeeding, chest feeding, pumping, and or hand expression. Those are the only things that are needed, one, two, or three of those. And that's sort of what the plan is, is at each step of the, each of the steps, what do we do? And it's almost like three different lactation plans. And this is where I really want to emphasize anyone who's interested in doing that. I highly, highly recommend working with an IBCLC because it is, I think I mentioned this already, I feel so strongly about it, but it is complicated. And not only creating the plan is complicated, but the, you know, once you're putting it into place, a lot of questions come up. Sure, sure. And I assume that like a full medical history is also needed because anything involving medications, you want to make sure that the parent's not taking medications that might be not good for them based on their medical history. Right. And also generally people who are inducing lactation have a more complicated health history, particularly complicated fertility history most Mm -hmm. of the time. And so we want to consider that also when making the plan. Mm -hmm. And you mentioned that there's different kind of like plans that you, a family could choose based on their preference. Like some families might want to avoid medications and some families might be all in on the medications. Do you think that there's like, if a family does choose the medication route, that there is a higher rate of Well, I guess the family defines success, first of all, but in terms of the actual volume of breast milk produced, do you think that there is a 
like a pathway or a plant that tends to be more successful than others. Yeah, yes, there mm-hmm. are ways. And so generally when I work with parents, first of all, I look at you know what's going to be safe and healthy for them and then look at what their preferences are. And their circumstances, like, you know, what is their timeline particularly is a big factor in making a plan. And then given all those, I would make a plan to help them get, you know, the most milk. Does that make sense? Or does that answer your question? Yeah. So you're basically taking into account what their preferences are and saying, okay, if you want to avoid, for example, if you had a family who wanted to avoid medication, then you would set them up on the plan without the medication, but with the highest rate of success. Like maybe that's when you would use the herbs and other strategies. That's right. That's yeah. right. And then some people, there are many of my clients who just say, do everything, like everything mm-hmm. you possibly can. And I never do give them everything because it's really overwhelming. But sometimes, you know, I often will do medications and herbs if they're interested in. I've been using acupuncture or acupressure. I mean, there's so many things. Yeah, there's some yeah. good research about that. And I love that because if that's all natural. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I have a lot of clients just with low milk supply who have found acupuncture and acupressure to be helpful as well. Awesome, yeah, yeah. yeah. And speaking of timeline, is there like a specific timeline that families need to start this? Or is there a point where it's too late, quote unquote, too late? No, you know, even if baby's already arrived, you know, we just start where, where they're at. If people have plenty of time and they ask me, well, when should I start? Especially in a case where it's surrogacy or the partner is birthing, when we have a known due date. So we don't really know. Certainly we don't know. Very, very rarely would we know six months before a baby's born when they're going to arrive in adoption. Mm-hmm. But in the other two circumstances, we do. And so I generally have them start around the end of the first trimester with the idea that the pregnancy is fairly secure at that point, but they still have plenty of time mm-hmm. because it takes, you know, nine months to prepare the breast in a pregnancy. So we want to take, if the parent has the time, we want to take that time. Okay. But so if they sounds- don't, it's okay too. Okay. So it sounds like it's never too late, but the earlier, the better if possible. Basically. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like with a lot of things in life. That's true. Yeah. yeah. And is this something that the family would have to work alongside I assume because there's medications involved, they would want to work alongside their OB or PCP. When I always recommend process. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, if there's a prescription required, obviously they have to. If mm-hmm. there's no prescriptions, then I encourage it, but I don't, you know, that then it becomes up to them. So I always ask for their doctor on their intake form and then, you know, fax a copy of the report, the mm-hmm. plan that we make to the doctor or midwife. And you mentioned earlier about how your OB colleague didn't even know that this was possible. Yes. Do you find that families kind of like get a little pushback from their providers or OBs? Or do you feel like for the majority of time, they're on board with it as well with the family? I would say most of the time the doctors are on board. They just really don't know what to do. Mm -hmm. So if they get my report and they're like, oh, okay. That's what way to do it. Okay, I can be on board with that. Now, the exception to that would be Don Paradone, which mm-hmm. is, you know, I don't know if you how much you want to get into it, but it's controversial. So, right. Yeah. If you want to give us a little more details about why it's controversial. Sure. Sure. So Don Paradone it was developed as a gastrointestinal drug, but it increases prolactin, helps your body release its own natural prolactin, which is pretty cool. And prolactin is a primary hormone that's responsible for milk production. So it can be super, super helpful in increasing milk production. The problem in the United States anyway is not approved by the FDA. 
So it very makes any doctor very hesitant to write a prescription. People can and do get it from international online pharmacies with and without a prescription. So it's really tough, though, because obviously, if there is a pharmaceutical medication, we want the doctor to be supervising and the pharmacist, right? right? To be supervising all that. And that doesn't always happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is that the only medication that parents can use in terms of prescription? Um, So there are others. I would say Domperidone is, in my view, in my experience, the most important and helpful. The other medications that are used are generally medications that increase estrogen and progesterone. Mm -hmm. So it could be a birth control pill, a progesterone only, a Depo-Provera injection. And that's usually where the OBGYNs or the PCPs or midwives are pretty on board. They're like, oh, Mm -hmm. this is not a big deal. I'll prescribe that. And I very rarely have had trouble with that. Occasionally metformin, just as you would, you know, when appropriate, not everybody's Mm going to, that's not going to be appropriate for everyone, but that may be used occasionally. I can't think of any other pharmaceuticals that are typically used. Mm Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine why OBs would be perfectly comfortable writing out a script for birth control because they right. do it every day. So that's right. what's that's the right. big deal? But then if facing a medication that's not FDA approved, of course, there's going to be a lot of pushback about that. Maybe I will mention one other pharmaceutical and that's Reglan, which also increases prolactin levels. Um, there's, their research shows that it's, I think the effectiveness is similar to Domperidone and it is FDA approved. The problem is it's something that has some pretty serious side effects, particularly mm-hmm. when taken for a longer period of time. And anyone inducing lactation is going to benefit from taking it for a long period of time. So what my experience has been is often the client will say to the doctor, I'm interested in taking Domperidone. And the doctor will say, well, we can't do that, but no problem. I'll just write you a prescription for Reglan instead. Mm-hmm. And so I try to give them a heads up on that, like, I really rather you not take anything than take Reglan because right. the side effects of that when taken along, this is not worth any amount of milk production in my mm-hmm. view. Yeah. The side effects can be pretty awful. Yes. Yeah. And I know I mentioned like, I guess the family is defined their own success, but if a family comes to you is kind of asking like, what are the chances that I'll make a full milk supplier, or a partial milk supplier? What are the expected volumes when, when inducing lactation? What, how do you usually counsel them on that? Yeah, of course, they always want to know. I know I did. When I was <laughs> yeah. going through it, I was like, okay, this is a lot of work. When am I going to have it? Right. And I feel like there's almost two questions. The first one is, am I going to make any milk at all? And then mm-hmm. the second one is, how much? And the answer to the first one is, so far, fingers crossed, I've never had a client who followed through on a plan and didn't make any milk. Mm-hmm. And I have had couples of a few clients who made drops, very small amounts. And then I've had the other end of the spectrum where, you know, they've made all the milk their baby needs. Most of them are going to make something in the middle. And I really encourage them to go into that with that expectation that they will make some and that they will be supplementing the rest. Mm-hmm. And then we're in that middle range they can expect to be it depends on many factors. One of the biggest factors is whether they've been pregnant and lactated before. Mm-hmm. So if the body has gone through a pregnancy and the breasts have made milk, usually the body just much more responsive. There's more glandular tissue. So that's a huge factor in how much milk they'll make. There are several other factors that go into it. Sometimes it's the health history, the fertility history can be an impairment for milk production. So if mm-hmm. there are infertility due to hormonal issues, 
that can, those same hormonal imbalances could make it hard to make milk. Oftentimes associated, what I've noticed is a lot more insufficient glandular tissue, which for your listeners means that the glandular tissue in the breast didn't fully develop during puberty. Mm -hmm. And that seems to go hand in hand with infertility. So some, there's just so many factors that go into it. But once I get that intake form, when, and I always have the intake form before we meet the first time, I can see like what they're, you know, I can say from what I see on your intake form, this is where kind of the range where I expect that you could be. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think part of it is our culture. We're such a all in or all out culture. So some families don't go in realizing that, you know, it doesn't have to be 100% breastfeeding or 100% bottle. Like you can definitely do both as long as it's working for you. Right. And that's part of our job is to help them navigate. And so when I work with clients, I try to meet with them most of the time, four times. And the, and the first time at the very beginning, mm-hmm. the second time when they're transitioning to step two, and then the third time right before baby arrives. So by then she knows how much milk she's making and we can work together to figure out how to take that milk production if it's not everything that baby needs and use that for a long-term good breastfeeding output. So balancing the supplementation, balancing breastfeeding management so that things work well in the long-term. And do you find that parents, if they are inducing lactation, if they put the baby to the breast versus exclusively pumping, for example, do you find that that's more helpful for, have you seen like a, an increased milk supply just by making that switch? Yeah. You know, I very rarely had clients interested in inducing lactation who didn't want to have baby at breast or chest. Yeah. And part of that, I will say specifically for adoption, but probably in all the cases, is that the motivation to breastfeed is about attachment, about bonding. Attachment's a huge issue, concern in adoption. Mm -hmm. I don't think so much in the other scenarios, but still, you know, all the parents want to have that connection, especially when they didn't have the opportunity to have that bonding starting in utero. So the desire to nurse is oftentimes a lot about the connection. So the nursing itself, not just about milk production. And I encourage them too to focus on that. Breastfeeding is so, so much more than making milk. Right. And even if they make very little milk, they can still get so much of the benefits. And so as can baby. Right. Yep. So true. And do you counsel for families like when they come to you kind of asking, what is this going to take? What do you tell them in terms of pumping in the other modes, methods of stimulation that you mentioned? Yeah. So again, we always try to customize it to their needs and make mm-hmm. that work for them. But for maximum milk production, I will ask them to do some kind of milk removal at least eight times a day, including once in the night. Mm-hmm. So if baby hasn't arrived yet, that's going to be pumping and hand expression. If baby's already arrived, then it could hopefully be breastfeeding, but maybe not. Mm-hmm. And do you have a lot of families where the baby has already arrived or it's like a surrogacy, so they're going to be there right when the baby is born, who supplement at the breast? Or do you find a lot of your families just do the breast and bottle? I would say more of them supplement, like with a nursing supplementer, like which is a feeding tube at the breast, more so than the bottle because one is I encourage it. (laughs) I mean, I'm going to support people once again, like whatever works for them, but 
I think that using a nursing supplementer is going to result in better long-term breastfeeding outcomes because mm-hmm. it's going to keep baby at breast, breast-oriented. It also is going to support milk production by keeping at the baby at the breast or chest longer, sucking more vigorously. So I'm a huge fan of using a nursing supplementer. And I, it's tricky to mm-hmm. use. It can be frustrating at first. And so that's part of the plan is that before baby arrives, I have them, I help them choose which one would be appropriate. And then I have them buy it, fill it with water, take it apart, put it together, have their partner get comfortable with filling it and cleaning it and all that stuff. So that when they have a hungry baby and they don't have enough milk, they don't have this device that they're fumbling with. And like, Mm -hmm. you know, it's not so frustrated. They're comfortable with it. It's still, you can't learn to latch a baby until the baby is there with it. But you certainly could get comfortable with filling it, assembling it, cleaning it. I love that idea. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, it really helps. And I think maybe some of the fear around like this weird, like we've all seen models. Most people have not seen a nursing supplementer. So the fear around this weird new device goes Mm -hmm. down if you get comfortable with it ahead of time. Mm -hmm. And the partner does too, if, if the partner can be involved. And just from like a professional view standpoint, I'm just curious and maybe you haven't seen any research on this, but they have they done any research. Now we know that like breastfeeding reduces the risk of certain cancers, ovarian, breast cancer. Is it the same if it's induced lactation? Do you know? Have you seen any research on that or um, have any knowledge as to why it would, wouldn't it be or would be? Or? I don't think that, you know, there's not a lot of research on all of this, but when I was writing the book, I was talking to a pediatrician and her husband was an OBGYN and they were both kind of supporting me through some of this. And what she told me was that, you know, those protective effects have to do with not menstruating for a period of time. Hmm. And so sometimes when we induce lactation, usually it affects menstruation. It's, you know, more or less for depending on the people, but I think that's where it, yes, it could provide those protective Mm -hmm. effects, if that makes sense. Yeah. So I imagine it's just like when you're not induced, when you're just giving birth to a baby, you know, some women get their period back a lot sooner than others. So I imagine it would be the same with induced lactation. Like some of your families might get their period back a lot sooner than Mm -hmm. others. They're happy. Yeah. 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 It, that's so fast. The body is just so fascinating. I totally geek out over this. Yeah. yeah. It's almost magical. Like when, even though I've seen it so many times, it's amazing. Just the ba- the body can respond. Like mm-hmm. they, we know there's a baby coming and the body responds. In your experience, when you have families who induce lactation, do they end up enjoying like the results in the process? Like I can't imagine you would ever have anyone who regretted it. I, I mean, usually they do. Usually they're very happy at how it went. I think I have had clients who, particularly if they're really finding getting lots of milk is really important to them, Mm -hmm. sometimes they feel disappointed. And I really encourage them. So I had a client once who who posted on social media, I'm making 40% of what my baby needs. I've reached my full milk supply. I thought that's right. She she worked really really hard, and that was her personal full milk supply. And mm-hmm. I love the way that she framed it that way. Instead of saying well, I'm only making forty percent, she knew that she did the best, and that she thought it was exactly right for her. Mm-hmm. So it was so much about attitude that I've had clients who were making less milk who felt so excited and happy about the results, and then clients who've made more who felt disappointed. <laughs> 
because it wasn't like a hundred percent. That's so hard. Yeah. And I totally get those feelings too. But again, like you said, it's about reframing breastfeeding as more than just the milk Mm -hmm. and also including like the attachment, the bonding, things like that. Yeah. What other questions do parents usually ask you when it comes to inducing lactation? Gosh, I think you've covered a lot of the really common ones. Mm. And we talked about basically how it's done. I would say with adoption, it's always very tricky because we don't always know when baby's going to arrive. And then we also have the added uncertainty that adoption matches fall through. That's a tough situation and so often requires just really a flexible plan. And then if things don't go as we hope, to talk it over and decide what to do now. So like if a client has brought in some milk and then the baby never comes home, you know, where do we go from here? We don't have another baby on the way right now. So that's a a tricky question. Also communicating with the expectant parent about plans to, yeah, I would say in general, the whole adoption has some trickiness and also the co-nursing is tricky because there then there becomes a balance to milk supplies and how do we share roles, share the load, and then while kind of optimizing and maintaining milk productions mm-hmm. can be a delicate balance. And again, this is where having somebody, a professional to support through that can be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And just to clarify for our listeners, by co-nursing, you mean when both parents are breastfeeding. So the right. parent and then the one who induced lactation. Right. And yeah. it could be that both induce lactation, right? If they yes, adopt it or something like that. Yes. But usually yes, one is given birth and then the other one is induced and then they're trying to share. And I think that's why I'm so glad that you're around and that you're doing everything that you're doing because as a mom who went through the adoption process and induced lactation, like you get it, you know what it's like. Versus if someone came to me, I could help them with inducing lactation, but I don't really get what adoption is like. And I don't, I've never been in that situation. So it must be really nice for your families that work with you to have that support from someone who's been there, done that, and knows what the process really looks like and what it feels like and things that can happen. Yeah. I mean, there's even, you know, language around adoption mm-hmm. that I know because I went through it. And I can say also that. I felt really alone and unsupported when I went through my own process of inducing lactation. I had so much encouragement from my co-leaders in La Leche League. They were super excited for me and they believed in me, but they didn't really have the information to support me. And so I actually got the best support from reading Defining Your Own Success, which is a book that Diana Ress wrote about Mm -hmm. breast reduction surgery. Not about like inducing lactation at all, but that was the closest thing I could find right? because I couldn't really find anything good otherwise. And uh, that's why I do this is because I really wanted things to be better Mm -hmm. for people in the future. So they don't feel sort of floundering in the dark. Yeah, that's amazing. And I've heard you speak before at conferences. I think you're amazing. (laughs) Oh, thank you. And you also help families with relactation. Can you explain the difference between induced lactation and relactation? Sure. So relactation is a parent who birthed their baby, but who is not currently breastfeeding or lactating or their milk production has really dropped very dramatically. So in some ways, it's like induced lactation because we're starting with little or no milk and trying to build it up. 
but in some ways it's different and maybe two main ways. One is the parent has gone through a recent pregnancy, not maybe just been pregnant, but you know, within the last few weeks or months. And the second one is baby's already arrived. Whereas with induced lactation, sometimes that's the case, but usually a baby has not arrived. So those are a couple of differences, but many of the techniques that we use are the similar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And just like with induced lactation, is there any point where it's like, quote unquote, too late to start when it comes to relactation? People do ask me that a lot. And then I say, well, I help people who've never, ever been pregnant make milk. So if you were pregnant a few weeks ago, a few months ago, I'm confident in that. (laughs) I love that. That's the best response. Okay. Tell us a little bit about your book. I was just looking through your website the other day. I love the rebranding, by the way. Oh, your website you. looks amazing. I love it. And so you have classes, right? Online classes for parents. So I have some online training for actually professionals. Professionals. So the, the online training is designed to be like a professional supplement to the book. So it's going mm-hmm. a little deeper and it's focusing on, you know, how we can help parents, but it's not really designed for parents. Mm -hmm. So if parents want additional help, I do work with parents and do just individual consultations. Mm -hmm. So tell us where they can find you, your website, social media, if if some of our listeners wanted to connect with you and work with you. Sure. You can go, the easiest way is to go to Mm breastfeedingwithoutbirthing.com, which will just link right to my website. And I'm on Instagram at Alyssa Schnell, IBCLC. Eventually, I need to consolidate some of my Facebook. So I have to be honest, I'm really not the best at social media. <laughs> the best way to get to reach me would be like through my website and, and sending an email or, or mm-hmm. calling me or something. And just FYI, one thing that I do offer is for anyone interested in inducing lactation or relactation, a free 15-minute consultation. And the reason for that is that it's a big investment. And I mean, it's a financial investment, but it's also a big time and emotional investment. And I want people to be able to just be able to ask some basic questions and make sure that they want to take that plunge. So I can't really give them specifics for their situation. I don't have their health history or anything, but they can ask some of the types of questions that you're asking me about how the process goes and, and, you know, is it going to be right for them? What's involved? that kind of thing. And usually it just, most of the time it puts people at much at ease after talking to me. And also I think there's a trust factor that builds up after talking to me. So usually they feel pretty at ease and they go forward, but I have occasional situations where the person's like, wow, this is not for me. That's good too. I mean, that's a good result as well. So I like to offer that if people are just not really sure if they want to go forward. Mm -hmm. I think that's a great idea. That's really valuable to the families too, because then they can get an idea what they really want to do. Yeah. 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 Okay, great. I think this work is so important. I think we need to get the message out. Like you said, that this is an option for families. I love all the important work that you're doing. I will link to your website, social media, your Instagram, and your book as well in the show notes. So people can reach out if they're interested. But thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you for having me. Have a good night. You too. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Baby Pro Podcast. Make sure to visit our website, ShellyTaffIBCLC.com, where you can check out our online parenting community, The Baby Bistro. You can also follow us on social media at ShellyTaffIBCLC on Instagram. 
If you love the show, please leave a rating on iTunes so that we can continue to bring you amazing episodes. Thanks for listening and see you in two weeks.